This is the time of uh, the reading of God's Word, and we're going to be reading in Genesis 28. You can join me in your Bibles or in your bulletin. Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up on a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I can come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Good morning. This fall, we're tracing God's redemptive and restorative story through the great fathers of our faith. We spent four weeks looking at Father Abraham, and now we're in the second of four weeks looking at Jacob, and we'll end our series with four weeks looking at Joseph. Now, last week, we learned that after Sarah and Abraham had died, Isaac and Rebekah gave birth to twins, Esau and Jacob. And as we talked about last week, their whole family system was incredibly dysfunctional. The parents were playing favorites. Esau was entitled, impulsive, valued all the wrong things. Jacob was a schemer and extremely deceptive. And the chasm that existed between the twins only grew wider when Jacob tricked Esau into selling his birthright to him. Now the brokenness in this family, and in particular between these two young men, serves as a great reminder that God often takes the darkest places in our lives and he redeems them and uses them to further his kingdom. Now, as we continue on in the story this morning, we see God elaborating on his covenant promises and blessings. 
with Jacob, despite Jacob's hard-heartedness and his scheming. So we're going to look at two things this morning. First, God's ladder, and then secondly, Jacob's response. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning for your word. We're grateful that you promised that it won't go out and come back void. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us through this very familiar story. That you'd give us new insights. That you would transform our hearts and our minds. And that leaving this place this morning, we will fall deeper in love with you, Jesus. And we pray this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. Well, I encourage you to open your bulletins or you can open your Bibles. And the first thing that I want us to consider is God's ladder. Now, this week we're going to pick up in chapter 26 and we're going to walk through chapter 28, spending the majority of our time in chapter 28. Now, in chapter 26, we read that there's another famine in the land. But unlike his grandfather, Abraham, Isaac, obeys God and stays in Canaan. Isaac and his family, they settle in Gerar, the land of the Philistines, ruled by King Abimelech. And while Isaac obeyed in terms of not going down to Egypt, we see that the sins of the father continue to pass down to the sons. For when the men asked Isaac about his wife, he lied and told them that Rebekah was his sister. Now, interestingly, this time, before any harm was done to Rebekah, King Abimelech sees the couple interacting together, and he realizes that Rebekah is Isaac's wife, and he confronts Isaac about his lie. Here you have this Philistine king rebuking Isaac and calling him to repent. And I think this is a great reminder to us that God can use anyone, even a Philistine, to call us to repentance, to turn us toward God. Now, after the confrontation, God blessed Isaac greatly, and he increased his wealth a hundredfold. And then in chapter 27, we read a very familiar story to many of us. Jacob stealing Esau's blessing. Now, Jacob had stolen his birthright, but he also longed for the blessing of the firstborn from his father. And so Rebecca and Jacob, they come up with this elaborate scheme to trick Isaac into thinking Jacob was Esau. And the plan works, and Isaac blesses Jacob, saying this to him. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now Jacob, after he receives Isaac's blessing, he leaves. And then Esau comes in fully expecting to receive the firstborn's blessing. But what we see is in the ancient Near East, once you say a word or a blessing, that blessing cannot be taken back. And so 
Even though Isaac understands that he was deceived, he cannot take back the blessing that he gave to Jacob. And so in turn, he has to give Esau the blessing that he was going to give Jacob. And that blessing is this, by your word you shall live and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now, as you might imagine, Esau was not happy at all. Jacob had stole his birthright. Now Jacob had stole his blessing and he wanted to kill Jacob. And so Rebekah steps in yet again and warns Jacob and tells him to go stay with his uncle Laban in Haran until Esau's anger subsides. Now that brings us to chapter 28, where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning. And if you look in your bulletins, in your Bible, in verse 10, we see that Jacob left Beersheba and he began traveling towards Haran. Now, this was about a 550-mile trek north towards what we would call today Iraq. And in verse 11, at dusk, Jacob finds a suitable place to stop for the night. He takes one of the stones for a pillow, and he rests his head on it and falls asleep. Now, unbeknownst to Jacob, he is laying at the epicenter of of the blessing, Abraham's land. And Jacob, exhausted from the journey, falls into a deep sleep. And while he's sleeping, he has a dream. In his dream, there was a ladder. Now, some translations say stairway. Now, when we think of a ladder, we often think of our homes. We think of ladders to help climb up to a roof, has rungs on it. The ladder here that Jacob dreams about is not like our ladders at all. The ladder in our text is like a ziggurat, not cigarette, a ziggurat. Now, a ziggurat was a very common structure in the ancient Near East, which signified a place of worship where heaven and earth meet. And in fact, some ziggurats still exist in Iraq and Iran today. It was rectangular in shape, and it towered up, and there were steps that surrounded it. It was like a temple. If you've ever been to Mexico or seen pictures of the ancient Mayan temples, they are shaped like a pyramid. This is a ziggurat. And in Jacob's dream, just picture a large ziggurat descending on earth. And unlike the children's Bible song that says it's Jacob's ladder and we climb up it as good soldiers of the cross, the text tells us that the ladder belongs to God. For behold, the angels of the God were ascending and descending on it. And then look at verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it. Now, the more literal translation here is the Lord stood beside Jacob. Opposite of the Tower of Babel, where man tried to build a structure to reach God, here we see God and his holy host of angels coming down to reach us. Now, I know this might date me. Um, have you ever seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind? 
and this is probably for those of us in our 40s and 50s, it's about a big, huge spaceship that kind of comes and it descends on Earth. And no aliens come out, but they all come to study it. And at the very end of the movie, aliens come out and they greet humans. In many ways, this ladder, this ziggurat, is like an alien spaceship. But instead of bringing aliens, literally God is in it and his angels are in it and they're descending on earth. God humbles himself. He comes to earth in order to introduce himself to Jacob, in order to bless him. God says to Jacob, you don't know me yet. Yes, you've heard about me from your papa and your grandfather, but let me introduce myself to you. Look back at verse 13. God says, I am the Lord, God Almighty. I am the God of Abraham, your father. I am the God of Isaac. Three times God introduces himself to Jacob because he desperately wants Jacob to know him. And I think it's important for us to pause here and remember the great lengths God goes to in order to reveal himself to us. He went to great lengths to reveal himself to Jacob bringing this huge ziggurat down on earth and have angels descending and ascending and then him coming and standing beside Jacob. Likewise, God goes to great lengths to reveal himself to us. He created us for relationship with him. And just like any earthly father wants his children to know him, our heavenly father wants you to know him. He wants to introduce himself to you. And I wonder this morning, how has God revealed himself to you this week? Or maybe even this morning? In what ways has God said, hey, and whispered in your ear his word to reveal his character to you, to reveal his promises to you? The good news of this passage is that God desperately wants us to know him. And he goes to great lengths in order to do that. We serve a God who longs to be known by his children. And in verse 13, we see God's extravagant love and grace as he chooses to make himself known to Jacob. But it doesn't stop there. God also blesses Jacob. He says to Jacob, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, in his blessing of Jacob, reaffirms the covenant that he had established with Abraham. He tells Jacob, you will be the father of great nations and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth spread abroad. Not only will you be blessed, but you will be a blessing to others. The blessing of God persists through Jacob's misery and through Jacob's perversity, barreling down on him 
like a freight train from heaven. So often, I think we're quick to curse ourselves or to curse others when we or they fail. Yet here, God chooses to bless Jacob, and Jacob has done absolutely nothing to earn that blessing. Quite the contrary, he continues to deceive and be a schemer. What would it look like for you to bless yourself and others instead of to curse yourself and others? What would it look like for you to receive God's blessing in the darkest places of your heart? One of the things this summer when I was on sabbatical that I reflected a lot on is that I tend to curse myself when I fail. If I fail in anything, even if there's not sin involved, I will curse myself. If I fail and I'm sinning, I curse myself. And I spent a lot of time this summer reflecting with my counselor, and he helped me and, and tried to help me say, look at what would it look like for me instead of cursing myself to receive God's blessing that he extends toward me in the midst of my failures, in the midst of my sin? What would it look like for, for me to honor the good desires that I pervert towards sin, to honor those and to bless those desires? I think our society would be way more unified if we spent more time receiving God's blessing instead of cursing ourselves and cursing others. Here in our text, God blesses Jacob. And Jacob would not be somebody that you met that you'd want to bless. And yet God pours out his grace on him. We are not people necessarily that God would want to bless. But because of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection, God chooses to bless you. Even in your moments of sin and your moments of failure. I wonder this morning, what would it look like for you to receive God's blessing on you today? What would it look like for you to receive the words that you are his beloved son and daughter? What would it look like to receive his words of hope for you today? That he has a plan for you and a future that he wants to bless you today. And what would it look like for you today to receive that blessing, but then also to take that blessing and to bless those around you instead of cursing them? To offer the crowds around us compassion like Jesus offered them compassion. In our passage this morning, God descends not Jacob's ladder, but God's ladder to introduce himself to Jacob and to bless him and to remind him that the rebel forces, they're still on the move. God is building his kingdom. And so the first thing we look at this morning is God's ladder. The second thing that we look at is Jacob's response. Jacob, he has this incredible dream. But look at his response in verse 16. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. 
This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Here, Jacob is afraid. Here, Jacob admits his ignorance of the unseen. Surely the Lord's in this place, and I didn't even know it. Like in the Matrix, after Neo takes the red pill, Neo says to Morpheus, my eyes hurt. And Morpheus says, that's because you've never used them before. Jacob is beginning to open his eyes. He's beginning to see God. He's beginning to understand the blessing. But he's got a long way to go. And we see this played out in verses 18 through 22. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set up for himself a pillar and he poured oil on it and he called the name of the place Bethel. Now, when I first read these verses, I thought Jacob was making an Ebenezer, a stone of remembrance to honor the Lord. But if you look closely at the text, we read that he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on it. Now, pillars in the ancient Near East were erected by Canaanites throughout the land. They were, in essence, symbols of human power, celebrating man's accomplishments. And in Deuteronomy 16.22, the author warns the people of God, you shall not set up a pillar which the Lord God hates. Jacob, he had grown up hearing about God. He sees God in the stream. He even receives a blessing from God. But clearly, he still does not know God. Instead of establishing an Ebenezer to worship God, he imitates his pagan Canaanite neighbors and creates a mini tower of Babel to glorify himself. Jacob still thinks that he can climb up the ziggurat maybe even to meet God halfway. And then you see this vow in verses 20 through 22. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. I mean, he says to the Lord, if you do all of these things, you protect me, you provide for me, you clothe me, you give me shelter, you return me safely to my father's house, then I will worship you. Isn't that nice of Jacob to do that to God? To say, God, if you do all these things, then... I'll worship you, and hey, I'll even give you a full tenth of the money that I require. I mean, imagine going to a wedding, and I ask you, do you take this man to have and to hold for better or worse? And as the bride, you say, I do. And then I ask the husband, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded bride, to have and to hold for better or worse? As long as she cooks well and stays fit and keeps her house clean. And you would then say, yeah, I do. She'd slap you right there on the spot and she'd walk away if she's smart. 
Jacob's conditional statement provides him with an out. In his arrogant opinion, he's thinking, God, I might have a better option. There's a song called Options by Pedro the Lion. It's about a husband who's reflecting on his relationship with his wife. And he writes that they're walking and holding hands together on a sunny beach. And he says this, I could never divorce you without a good reason. And though I may never have to, it's good to have options. This is how Jacob's mind worked. His response to this incredible dream on one level is incredibly shocking. And on the other level is something that each of us can identify with. Because how many times have we said to God, God, if you do this, if you provide a spouse, if you provide a job, if you heal me, then I'll worship you. We, like Jacob, we attempt to manipulate the Lord in our own faith journeys. Like Jacob, we've all had our if-then statements. But thankfully, God is not a schemer. But instead, God is steadfast in his love for us. Look back at the promise God gives Jacob in verse 15. God says, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Look at all the times in this one verse that God references himself. He says, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God says, I am with you. God is the one who is initiating this covenant. God is the one who walked through the blood path twice. God is the one who says, I am going to fulfill this promise to you. That's how God responds to our hesitant, noncommittal flakiness. God is long-suffering and gracious toward his sons and daughters in the darkest of moments. And you and I have had moments when in one minute we're worshiping God and the next we're rebelling against Him. But the good news of the Gospel is that God is faithful to His covenant promises. He will never leave us, never forsake us. He promises to complete the good work that He began in us. In John 1, 51, Jesus said to Nathanael, you will see heaven opened and angels ascending and descending on me. Familiar? It's the exact words that we see in our passage this morning. And Nathanael, being familiar with this passage, he knew exactly what Jesus Christ was saying. Jesus Christ was saying, I am the portal. I am the one who descended in the ziggurat. I am the one who came from heaven to earth. And I am the one who desperately longs for you, Nathaniel, to know me. And I am the one who is going to bless you. And in this meal, 
we see this portal, this ziggurat, we see it wide open. We are blessed because Jesus Christ was broken. We are forgiven because his blood was shed. And we can walk in the newness of life because he is seated at the right hand of the Father.